There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Tea with HB is for everyone who dreams of a better world. Together, let's brew a new reality. Creativity, noun, the use of imagination or original ideas to create something. Today, I can hardly contain my excitement because joining me to discuss this very important topic is my childhood hero, Lauren Child. She's an award-winning author and illustrator, and if you're familiar with her Charlie and Lola books, you'll understand why I'm breaking Tea with HB tradition and recommending pink milk instead of a cup of tea. A bonus episode with Lauren is available on my Patreon. Please consider supporting me there to keep Tea with HB going. And I hope you enjoy this episode. I think I've read almost every one of your books and you've been my favourite author pretty much my entire life. So this is a dream come true for me. Uh, so thank you so much Aww. for coming on to Tea with HB. Thank you, Blossom. That's a very nice thing to say. Nice start to my day. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, you're an outstanding author and illustrator and I've always wondered which comes first. Is it the drawing and then the story or do you think of a story and then design a drawing to go with it? It's even more um, fragmented than that. So it's often, a story often evolves over many years. So I, I usually note down things of interest, whether it's a snippet of conversation or something I've seen or a thought that comes into my head. And I very often make notes of them and very rarely now do I draw something ahead of beginning the writing because I see it all in my head anyway. I can only write if I can see it in my mind's eye. I often don't draw things unless something very particularly needs to be noted and can only be noted visually. So they're intertwined, really? It's kind of intertwined, except for me, the, 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 the seeing in pictures is mental and the writing down the words is important because I won't remember the, I won't remember the exact words or perhaps the idea unless I write it down. So, yeah, that's sort of how it works. Ruby Redfort is probably my favourite series ever. It's just fantastic. And I, I feel in that book and it's a completely unique experience, partly because of the puzzles and the way it's so interactive, but also it's so cinematically written. I mean, it could be a screenplay and I'm, I'm praying that Netflix or someone picks it up at some point. But is, is that how it feels when you're writing? Is it sort of like a movie in your head that you're just jotting down? Yes, it's very interesting you say that because um, 
Ruby was most definitely written as if I was watching a film and it was the only way I could write it. I think you can feel that through the words. Well, that's really gratifying because um, I, whenever I would get a, a form of writer's block with Ruby, it was because I was failing to see what, say, Clancy Crewe's house looked like or what the school looked like. And then I would do lots of research and find a building that, that seemed to suggest Clancy's home. And, and I do that all the time. So my, my, my studio is full of those sort of books of architecture or, or landscape or, I don't know, furniture, all of these things. Because if I, if I do get lost for pictures, then I research it. So obviously Twinford is one of those places and it was a sort of joke about what I remember very much when I was growing up and I was obsessed with American TV. But America was everything. So that you could have you could have snow, you could have mountains, you could have sand, you could have surf, you could have desert. All of the things in at your sort of at your choosing. So you don't have to worry, oh, should, should um, Twinford really feel like Montana? You think, well, it can be a bit of Montana and it can also be a bit of L.A. and it can be quite New York-y. So you just, you, you, you take that. You know how you, you see sometimes if you watch particularly an, an, old, an old movie that there's, and they're showing London, they always show Big Ben and St. Paul's, as if they're next to each other. Yes, exactly. Um, even if you watch Peter Pan or the old Mary Poppins, they sort of scan across London and it's, you can see all the landmarks. And I always feel a bit like that with, with um, things that used to be set in America when I was a child, that they would just sort of cover everything so that you knew, oh, I'm in America. I think that's how it feels. In, in my mind, it's almost like a bowl and you've got a mountain on that side and a beach on that side and, and it, it's all yes. encompassing as its own universe yeah it is and and that just allowed me to do whatever I want because it's it's a fantasy world and in a way Ruby is a form of superhero in that her superhero power is her genius but it's not really about being a genius because uh, I had I had a really interesting comment made by one reader about was was I celebrating prodigy in these books, and and I said, well, no, that's absolutely not what I want to do. Uh, what I'm celebrating is those um, attributes that are there for all of us. You know, the, the kindness, loyalty, and and sort of doing the right thing by your friend that's what's celebrated exactly and she's not a flawless character I lent the book to a friend and they said oh well it seems that they've put her in glasses just so she has a flaw and I was like I don't think you're understanding this character <laughs> because part of her her flaw is being a prodigy because you, she doesn't fit in and I've you know been disabled since I was 10 and ill and I didn't fit in and there's kin there and you can whatever reason you don't fit in mm. you can identify with her and that's what's so great about that character I think yes I, you're absolutely right about that because her cockiness is sometimes undermines her 
and and she also she's she has she's described as having a bit of a big mouth in that she can't stop herself saying things when it would be wiser to keep quiet and and Clancy deals with that he's such a great example of a character who is grounding somebody else Ruby is the special one yeah but actually Clancy has this unique special quality in being able to handle all her quirks yes exactly he's like the person holding on to the balloon string in a way yes and, uh, <laughs> that's exactly it yeah and and she needs that like we all need someone like that and yes the glasses are written in because they were written into Clarice and what what one has to remember I have to remember is because sometimes I'm furious with myself for describing things too much in Clarice and then having to I mean yeah and obviously the, the book titles aren't the same yeah so we came up with this idea that that you know like happens with with James Bond actually that you know he Ian Fleming's not a, around to write those books so they commission other writers to write those books so they have a, they change in feel but I I kept the glasses and I kept her height and I partly kept the glasses because actually it wasn't just as a small thing it's it's quite a big thing I now discover because I used to have perfect eyesight and I now don't and actually I realize what a hindrance that is you know if I was in an emergency situation and I lost my glasses it's not a joke it's really serious you can't read instructions you can't quite tell where you are in the same way it's there are there are there are many problems with it and um, I had a, a friend of mine uh, she's now She's now in her 20s, but she had quite a serious, you know, eye, eye problem, seeing problems. And, um, and I talked to her about that, because, which is why I, I wrote that in, um, because it, 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 is, it is an issue, actually. So I didn't want to make it something ridiculous, like you see in Scooby-Doo, Valma loses her glasses. And it's used as a comedy point, but actually it really is a serious thing. Yeah, I'm always saying glasses are a mobility aid because if I if I go out in my wheelchair, if I go out on crutches, you'll get a lot more questions, a lot more. And you wouldn't go up to someone with glasses and say, hey, what's wrong with your eyes? And yet when you're in a wheelchair, which is, you know, mobility aid, um, you get those questions all the time. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah. yeah, it's funny you should say that because, it, yeah, I agree. It's a very serious problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, you know, I've always been so glib about it. You know, when you, when you don't have that problem, it just never occurred to me what a massive deal it was. Yeah, but especially, especially as an artist, um, it's massive. It's the biggest thing. But yeah, you're right, though, that, that, that that's just a physical flaw for her in that it's a it's a lack of perfection in her seeing, but actually it's to do with something else that is her flaw. You know, it's, as you say, about Clancy keeping her on track and Mrs. Digby keeping her on track and Hitch keeping her on track. She's got all these people telling her not to run ahead of herself. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> so, yes, we were talking about the book that Ruby originated from I suppose Clarice Bean is what I grew up with I think Charlie and Lola was probably one of the first books I ever read and then Clarice just got me through school um, and especially the third book Don't Look Now where Betty Moody moves away and 
that the quote, you know, your worst worry is the worry you haven't thought to worry about. That has stuck with me in a, in a way nothing else has my entire life and, and other things that Clarice Bean has said. But especially over the last sort of two years, how accurate has that <laughs> quote been? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I developed sort of anxiety when I was kind of 10 to 12 um, when my illness first started. And I wondered if anxiety was something you struggled with and that's why that it was kind of such a big character trait of Clarice Bean's. And whether you did that intentionally to, to help people reading with mental health problems or I just wondered how much you have in common with her. Yes, I, I find I have increasingly more in common with her. So when I first started writing the picture books, which the first one came out in 1999, um, I was really writing about a girl who I saw is very separate from me, a child very separate from me, but who might we might intersect on perhaps the way we think about things, but she deals with life differently to how I dealt with life, I suppose. To a degree, there are differences. But then the more I wrote and the more I realised I was writing what I was feeling. And so when I started writing Don't Look Now, I'd actually intended to write a book about something completely different. And it was a very light book. It was meant to be kind of really fun and sort of looking at people around her who'd fallen in love or who seemed to be falling in love and how strange they become. But it was a very, it was a very sort of summery, light feel. But then I find I have to write about what I'm feeling. So I can't, it's like, I don't know, it's like putting on clothes that don't, you don't feel right in, you know, if you, if, I, I, I mean, so because of my job, several times you have to, you know, I'll find that they want to take your photograph for, for some interview you've done and they do your makeup and hair and you just think, I can't stand this. I don't feel like me and I don't look like me and you just feel like a chump. Yeah, what's the point yeah. if you're not being authentic? No, and... And so I've learnt just to say, no, I'll, I'll do it myself or I'm very careful about what I have done to me. And it's like that writing that you, I can't force myself to write the kind of book that perhaps somebody else wants or perhaps has been planned. If that's not... And if you're not no. feeling light and breezy and you're trying to write a light and breezy, it will always come through because that's just, well, for me at least, that's how creativity yeah. works you can't it's, it's like if I'm drawing a character and I'm feeling happy they will yeah. they will become happy yeah. because your emotions so true. mirror them I think. and so I've I found then I was going through a really really unhappy time in my life where I had broken up with a very long time partner so it was like getting sort of divorced yeah you can't just bottle that up no and so I I thought this really connects this feeling of bereavement really connects with something I remember in my own childhood when my best friend Gina announced that she was going to live in Worcester. And and although that wasn't a million, it's not like going to San Francisco like Betty does. But, it but was when you're a child enough, when you're and a you child, don't have your own transport, you have, it's and you don't the end of the world. Yes, it was. It was the end. Absolutely. It, and um, yeah. we were both grief-stricken. 
And for a while we wrote to each other every week. And then I noticed that in her letters she would say something like, you know, me and Annabelle or whoever it was, you know, were doing this. And then we go, and I realised that she was becoming happy and she made a friend. And, and that made the grief yeah. even worse. Yeah. Um, because I was the one left. Yes, exactly. And there, there are so few things written or talked or even sung about friendship heartbreak. And mm. it's awful. And, any, and everyone's experienced it's your first it. love. Yes, and it is yes. love. And, you know, mm. the Greeks mm. had so many words for love and we're stuck on kind of mm. one and we try and use that. Mm. But it is, mm. especially when you're a child and you don't have the autonomy or independence to keep up with them in the same way. And especially if you don't have a phone yet or something, it's complete heartbreak and there's nothing you can do about it. No, it's really hard and you have to go through it like any form of... Um, loss or or grief you just you you have to it feels like you you're wading through it yeah and and you have to just it, it will ease in time but it won't entirely go no it doesn't um, but I found I found writing about it really helped and obviously because you know at that at that moment I'm writing a children's book all of those emotions are just as strong and sometimes stronger in childhood. So there's no reason why you can't take what's going on for you at that point as an adult and translate it. And it's, it's almost healthier in a way because I think children are allowed to express their emotions and adults often aren't. Don't Look Now was pretty much the only thing, not mm. even book, but the yes. only thing I could find describing the kind of heartbreak of losing a friend. It's writing is one thing, right. it's cathartic, but to be able to read and feel like another friend is going through it with you almost. Because, you know, I, I didn't know that's what was going to happen to Clarice Bean in this book, but she'd been my friend mm. growing up, and mm. then suddenly. She was the one person, character, that was actually, I was able to relate to, which was so important for me. Oh, I'm very glad because I always think if Clarice Bean represents every child, um, then Ruby Redfoot and her world represent what you might aspire to have in your life, but never you know, never will in that, in that perfect form. Yeah. Because Ruby's world, in a way, is kept unchanged. So she has that, those very core friends. And it's formulaic, yeah. you know, like a Poirot or like a detective yeah, totally. TV series. Totally. But it's safe. It's cosy crime. There's coziness in that, yes. even though the subject matter is serious. Yeah. There's a safety in that, Yes. you know, she's going to save the day. Kind That's of right. And, um, and I wanted to bring uh, the human part of you know the the human side into Ruby Webfort because I I found in so many action books and particularly for children so ones where you have a sort of action hero as it were that they you don't get to explore them as people or personalities it's not character driven it's it's um it's it's about the plot and actually in Ruby the plot is always secondary to the relationships because my sister 
and I, we, we loved reading um, when we were children and we loved watching movies and TV and things. But we were only really interested if you got to see the domestic and the interaction between characters. So I, I had a few sort of back and forths with um, my publishers about how much of that to put in, how much of the time in the diner to put in. And I said, but, but mm. that is the driving force of the books. It's about the conversation. It's about the loyalty. Yeah. It's about the why do you want to sort of save the world or whatever. Well, it's for this reason. Yeah. It's because yeah. this is what makes life worth living rather than you're just saving the world, which yes, in, exactly. in the end, well, who exactly. cares if you don't have relationships? Yeah. If you don't have anyone to be in the world with, yeah. it's pretty There's pointless, no point. Yeah. <laughs> And and I'd looked at the the movies of um, Alfred Hitchcock because yeah. he's very very good at bringing domesticity and the smallest of life those those wonderful little moments that 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 we have in our lives and um, and just bringing them into the plot and then you see yeah. what this this person has to lose and it's it's what makes it tangible and mm. it's what makes you as as a reader, latch on to that character or that storyline because there are things going on in their life that you can relate to. Otherwise, mm. it's you're left out. Yeah. That's what I really don't like about so many sort of murder mysteries. So you're not given the clues to solve it yourself. You're a passive bystander. Ruby mm. Redford is interactive. It's wonderful because you're there with her and you could get there at the same pace. I never did, but <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> the possibility is there. You've, you've left the breadcrumbs. <laughs> I know, and I quite, you see, as a writer, they were so enjoyable to write in that I love all the research. I loved finding the most peculiar things that were true and mixing them up with things that aren't true. And you don't, you don't know which ones are true and which ones aren't true because the true things are often more peculiar than, than, than the ones I made up. Yes, exactly. Mm. But I, coming I, back, you, sorry, no. Sorry, no, go on, go on. Oh no! I was just going to come back because you'd asked me a question about Clarice, and the and whether I wrote about anxiety and stress um, for the reader. And what I what I meant to add is, I always write for me initially, and then I hope that it will find a way of communicating to the reader or you know whoever it is, whoever that may be, because. I decided a long time ago, um, way before my first book was published, after failing to get anything published, because I was I was trying too hard to connect and write for a reader, that I would not do that anymore. Because in some ways, that way madness lies, because you're trying to please somebody. And so people often say, would you write a book about this or that or whatever and I say I will if it's a story that I feel I can tell to myself so it makes sense to me it, it means that if you if you write it for yourself you have helped one person already and then you know that it's it, that it can work well that's exactly right and I think it's it's what I think a lot of people don't understand because I think that's the case for for all writers and artists, 
this is my view, so a lot of people will disagree, but... Is that, We're here for your view, so go ahead. Yeah, so, but I always qualify that yes, because right. I'm not just speaking as me, but for me, art is about making sense, yes, you making sense of the world. So I write and illustrate, and if I, if I could do music, I would do music because I love that. The reason I love Taylor Swift so much is because she writes for her own experiences and it happens to mm -hmm. resonate because... And I think that's the beauty of humanity is that we are actually all connected and art is actually what connects us because if you're writing for yourself, mm -hmm. you are writing for yeah. other people. Yes, and I think first you have to understand yourself and communicate things back to you, make sense of the muddle in your head. And I find writing is a good way of making sense of the muddle, which means it's a very painful process. I don't, I don't find it enjoyable until I get to a certain point and the point that I enjoy is when I see the threads that join and that's that's when it becomes really a great pleasure yes this is why I like writing short stories and poems and podcast episodes because I know I'll get to mm -hmm. that weaving bit sooner <laughs> I don't know how I would attempt to sit down and write a novel because it is a painful process and that Especially when writing about something close to your own your own heart. Yes, and 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 I think I think with because I, I never think of myself as a as a as a natural plotter. Um, so there are writers who kind of think, oh my, God, they're so incredible at, at writing plot. Um, but I have I have to really work at that. So it takes me a long time because I'm much more interested in character dialogue. And then mm. interesting sort of anecdotes or little, you know, well, like, like I, when I was trying to write the, the final episode of um, Ruby Redfort, I was trying to think, what is this all about? And I had an idea that I really, really wanted to use, but I, it, I just couldn't get it to work. Um, and so sometimes you have to give up on things that you think that would be a really strong idea but I couldn't get it to work but in the process of trying to find a solution I discovered about the um, about trees and the way they communicate which I didn't know about um, so their root system how it is like um, you know an internet and and they talk to each other and they help each other and and how they connect with fungus and there's some fungus that is is sort of a bad thing for trees and there's some where they, they work they sort of coexist and actually support each other. There are all these things and you just think, Oh my goodness, that's a whole that's a whole story on its own. So that it, yeah. although I, I couldn't work that in, um, it was still a really lovely thing to learn so so not everything yes gets used but it yeah it nourishes you yes yeah and it makes the overall story richer I feel yes yeah that's well yeah I don't need to go on about how much I love that book series because I think I've made it perfectly clear um but I would like to talk about a new book that you sent me just the goodie. The goodie, yeah. And I just feel like this is the book I've been waiting to read. And I know it's a children's book. Um, but especially the line about... If people have... 
decided you are good, do not disappoint them by being bad. Mm-hmm. I wish you ran the education yeah. system <laughs> because all these labels we have and like good and bad that are so meaningless for children and we're not allowing them to explore themselves or get to know themselves. And I just wondered if you had written that with the idea that the education system doesn't respect creativity or self-exploration or creative subjects or soft skills, as they're so-called, or whether this was... I mean, why did you write this book? Was it was it a child that you'd seen and you thought, you know, that's where the idea sparked? Or It's me um, and it's my growing up. I mean, I was not mm. the goody. My sister was the goody. But um, I've seen it played out in so many families. Um, and I've... And it's been in my family and... Um, it's in it's in the world generally. So we describe people in yeah. these shorthands, and I think even more so with social media, which I didn't grow up yeah. with. So I really notice it. This kind of yeah shorthand boxing yeah boxing, and yeah. and I I really I really object to it because I think it doesn't allow us to grow out of mistakes no. or grow into other yeah. other selves that we might yeah. be. Because yeah. we are all things, and we we upset people from time to time, sometimes on purpose, sometimes unintentionally, um, and we make people happy, sometimes on purpose, sometimes unintentionally, <laughs> and and these things are defining us all the time. But actually, you can take them on. So when you get to my age, I realised that. Everything that was said to me in childhood has stayed in my bones in some way, and you grow with it. Yeah. So if you are told, yeah. like I was always told, I was a very good runner, and I was, I was, I was good. I was, you know, a fairly sporty child, and I was, mm. I was, I was good in school pretty much for quite a long time until I just, you know, something happened, and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't see it as the most important thing anymore. Um, but because it's ridiculous. Yeah, because it just <laughs> felt like, my goodness, you're asking me to study for all these exams when actually there's, yeah. you know, I want to... A world out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and even something like wearing the right shoes to the school yeah. dance or whatever it was became incredibly important. And, and how you're getting on with people and all of that. There's so much to manage when you're... A child, and particularly when you're a teenager, I think there's so much that you have to learn and understand. And those social social things are are, are really mind blowing, yeah. actually. Um, yeah, it's like we were saying earlier with with children; they can express their emotions, and it's almost like you're you're not lacking empathy because I think children feel for each other, of course. But I think they're less aware of how they're being perceived. Whereas when you're a teenager, it's almost like you're hyper aware of how you're being perceived. So these labels that you've grown up with or are now trying to ascertain become your whole life yeah. is based on what other people think of you. And mm. how damaging is that for your formative years? You notice that very often doing talks for children. Um, and I... I in. I mean, I still do if, if there's something to watch on this subject. But certainly when I started writing and before I began writing, I would watch a lot of documentaries with, 
you know, children at the heart of them. So when they remade Seven Up in in the year 2000, watching these children, they start with seven because that's the sort of magic age. Um, so yes. Clarice Bean is seven in yeah. the in the first picture book. She gets mm. older, which is kind of unusual in fiction. But um, she she starts at seven because they say that's when a child is still not taken on that that um, the worry about what other people are going to say about them. So they're much more likely to tell you how they feel. And I really noticed that. So I go in and I talk to a class of seven-year-olds and then I go and talk to a class of 10-year-olds. And the difference was really phenomenal because the 10-year-old children, you'll, you'll find the ones that will speak up and keep, keep asking questions and the ones that will be absolutely silent. Um, and I think that's because we're all being sort of having our voices slightly um, and our thoughts curbed by, you know, the pressure of what will someone say if I say that? What will they think about me? That, you know, it was no bad thing for people to think that I was a good runner or I was a good artist or I was good at these things. You know, that they seem like really lovely things because they do build confidence. But on the other hand, it can prevent you becoming a writer. So no one really told me I was good at writing. Because I wasn't a particularly interesting writer. I didn't. My my sister wrote beautiful poetry and short stories. I didn't. So no one ever told me I was good at it. And so I never had that belief that I was good at it. You're really good at it. <laughs> well, thank you. But I only learnt after, you know. And and that's the thing that actually nothing is closed off. If you if no. you see it like that, no. that because I was thinking yeah. about singing, I always always wanted to be able to sing but I was told very early on that I was a terrible singer um, by a teacher when I was seven and that stays with me and that's one person's opinion that has been carried all my life and yet I have a have a friend who is a who's a brilliant singer and has done it professionally and she said it's absolute rubbish you know what what they tell you because not about me personally but just generally everyone has it's to it's about learn. them trying to get you to focus on the exam probably yeah i mean or, yeah. or they just people say things without consideration yeah and nobody ever knows what sentence is going to stick you know and it's okay. always the nasty ones that stick isn't it it's so ironic because everyone's worried about what other people think of them so everyone's worried about themselves so nobody else is thinking of them you know, it's so human. Uh, yes. And I, I, all, I always think that because I had, you know, maybe a handful of my handful of friends that I've known through my life who have that magical quality I always think of that they don't really care what anyone thinks of them, which is different from not minding about people's feelings. It's just they just don't get involved with other people's opinions of them. And and I always think that's what Betty Moody yes. is to Clarice. She's that child yes. that has this sort of golden light around her because she's not bothered about other people's opinions. Clarice Bean is returning for Christmas. Is Betty Moody featuring? What can you tell me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. She is. Because I've done... 
I've, I've, I decided if I'm to write about Christmas, I wanted Clarice to be a bit younger. And so I've, we've gone back in time. Um, so I think Clarice is back to being around seven. Interesting. <laughs> um, possibly eight. Possibly eight. But Betty is well and truly in that book. Good. Um, and I and so in a way it's all the cast members. Yeah. So I've put just like a good Christmas I've special. Included, <laughs> yes. I've in, exactly. I've included everyone, including Clarice's cousins and aunt and uncle who we meet in the very first picture book. They're sort of mentioned but we don't really get to know. Um, and so that they're, they're they're often mentioned in the books, but I thought, oh, it'd be really nice to properly meet them and understand who they are um, within the family. So, and and there's a friend of Granddad's who who is the professional singer uh, because I wanted to. Music is so much the tradition of Christmas. It's very very important to us, and I think rather like uh, we are talking about things that you say are described in in the world of education as soft subjects or not core subjects um, in in education. I think how extraordinary it is that we belittle things like music and art. Especially when they're the most important things for living. They are. Because they're how we communicate and Mm. see the world and Mm. heal from trauma and grief and heartbreak and all these things. And they've been with us forever. I mean... they they know that music and and drama and and dance yes. it's ridiculous you yeah exactly look at you know the iliad it's everything it's it's drama music storytelling everything and even mm. um you know the the clay pot that they would drink out of while listening to that story that's what dates mm. that time and that's what we can look back at and learn about from their history because we have that piece of art and everything comes back to art that's how we have that's how we see that we existed. I mean, it's so important. I, I don't know. understand why people don't understand it's that. It's so important. I know. And it, it's almost as if because we were all, we, you know, ch- children start singing, doodling, dancing, acting things out. And you're not allowed to do any of that in school. And you should be. There should be dance breaks and there should be doodling. But because you, I think it's so natural, instinctive when we, mm. when we first sort of emerge that it's almost saying, okay, well, it's it's the least important thing because we all we all arrived doing all those things. When actually we should say, ah, so it's the most important thing because it's it's within us to do that. Yeah, yeah, and it's the one thing that AI can't do. It's the one thing that when when robots take over, those will be our unique yeah. set of skills. I know, and it's strange because I th- I think if all of if all of what's happened has taught as anything it's that art is not important it's vital it's in every in every respect of of art in whatever whatever art form you're working in it's important to us yeah. it's synonymous with relationships and community and yeah and communication yes. yeah the new Clarice Bean book is out October 28th that's correct it yes. will make the ideal Christmas gift <laughs> oh well that would be nice it's called think like an elf and it's called that again you might like this because um, I wanted to introduce Clarice talking about Christmas in the kind of way that Clarice would introduce Christmas. So she says something like, 
you can tell when it's getting to be Christmas because mum brings out the Christmas elf tea towels. And that's a way of, you know, introducing this huge festival with something so mundane as a tea towel. But it's because children notice those little cues. And I thought that's exactly how this child would make that bridge between the festival that's on its way and that the crackling feeling of you know it's about to begin and it's through a tea towel. Yeah. And it's what's missing when you, you're not at your home for Christmas. If you're not in your family home, you miss those cues. Yes, and, it's, and, and anyway, in writing terms, it's just a way of beginning a book and being true to the character. But actually, as I wrote, I realised the tea towels and the slogan on the tea towel is what the whole book is about. Because it's it, written on the, um, on the tea towel is Think Like Elves. And as I was writing, I realised everything I wanted to say was about how Christmas is a time of looking outside of yourself. It's become this very commercial thing um, that goes on from October right through <laughs> through December. <laughs> but actually, it's not about that. It's about, it's about that feeling of community and communicating warmth to people that sometimes you don't even know them very well. Like you, you know, there'll be things where you invite write your neighbours in for a mince pie or something yes. because it's a yeah. community thing to do and and you gather around a table and always my best Christmases have been when we've there have been some people who don't have anything going on and you invite them too so it's it's about looking outside so thinking like an elf is so much what the book is about although it was just an inconsequential moment at the very beginning of the story but that's what I love is it's always the mundane yeah, things that, that suddenly that becomes the title of the book it was going to be called something rather rather dull probably but which had Christmas in the title and then, <laughs> and then I looked yes, again and yeah. thought oh no it should be called Think Like an Elf it's very Clara Bean. but I, I should also add that it's about Christmas because that's the festival that I grew up with if I'd been from a different culture, it would have been a different festival. So I think if people see it as it could be theirs, because at most of these festivals have that same thing in common. It's a lot often about the food and the gathering and the sharing. That's And music, always music seems to be in every culture. And so that's really what I'm bringing in. Um, so I, I, I always feel difficult when I'm talking about something like Christmas because it's as, as if I'm saying that's the most important it's not it's one festival yeah that's why I like that title as well and I, but I also mm. think it goes further because the most important attitude that's come out of these past two years is probably people realizing that we're all responsible for each other and mm. who better to be an example of that than an elf because elves are always working together all mm. year round mm. to provide gifts you know yes exactly Exactly. Well, this has probably been my favourite conversation ever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can leave me a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can also find me on Patreon, Instagram and YouTube. And for more, check out my newsletter and website www.twhb.com. 
thank you so so much for coming on my podcast well i hope you're going to carry on doing this because i have done a couple of interviews you know where they sort of asked you to be in conversation with someone and i know how really really difficult it is to carry an interesting conversation and ask interesting questions when you're trying to make you know make a picture really yes a picture in sound and it's really difficult to do but I think you should I think you should carry on doing it thanks yeah, very good we <laughs> <Definitely> will now <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.